All right. So, everybody, episode two. Sam, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. This is really exciting. Welcome to the Samwise Yuboinsky Podcast. everybody sam i just want to say that um service yesterday was super awesome it was awesome it was so well attended there were so many people i absolutely loved it everyone seemed so happy just to be together again yeah yeah those have been really fun and a lot of people have asked if we're able to keep doing those off into the future and we're we're gonna do our best i'm imagining us out there with hats and parkas and we're gonna figure it out and a fire pit will will a town allow a fire pit on the town green i know we'll see we'll see we'll do our best they're being put but (laughs) we have such a great guest this week uh, and she has such an incredible story so eloise mcgaw is with us and she's the chair of the committee on ministry and has known many of you for many many years and many of you are going to meet her for the first time here in the pod but it is uh, super fascinating, the story of her kind of journey and spiritual leadership and how she's come to be with us. So, so yeah, enjoy. I, as some people already know, grew up Roman Catholic, and uh, I came from an interreligious family in the sense that my father was a Congregationalist and my mother was a very devout Roman Catholic Um And when I married Bob, whom most of you, I hope, know, my sweet Mm -hmm. husband, um, in 1971, we're coming upon our 50th wedding anniversary, so we have survived all this, so that's all good. (laughs) And uh, when I uh, told his parents about our getting, or he told his parents about us getting married, they were not happy with me. Mm. Being a Yankee from Connecticut, Bob being a Southern Baptist from North Carolina, but they were mainly upset about my being Catholic. Um, we assume both of us that that would change over time. Unfortunately, it didn't, but it did help me to realize in the end how important my religious uh, affiliation was with Christianity and mm-hmm. with, uh, at the time, the Catholic Church. Uh, I had always thought that I would follow my mother's um footsteps in a way in her commitment to social justice and the Catholic Church and wanted to pursue work in ministry. Uh, Mm. And I went through ups and downs during my um, high school and college time where, as everyone does, they go through interest in in their faith and, and then disinterest and more interest in boys and for my in my case and um (laughs) then and and i even thought of being a nun at one point and i found out that celibacy was involved and i thought that that's not gonna work down the list of rules and yeah that just that that, and i think uh, obedience would have been a hard thing for me (laughs) as well because you have to take chastity and obedience pretty seriously um in any case um i uh i won't go through all the details of my um, journey, except to say that I decided I would continue my quest for finding a place in the Catholic Church that would work. And I went to um, Catholic University to get my master's in religious education, thinking that although I couldn't become a priest, I could find some avenue to serve. And um, 
Bob was a good sport about that, I must say. He, and the thing that really struck us during my process of going to um, get my master's was that I would come home and he and I would talk about what I'd learned. Mm. And I took courses in world religions. I took courses, I had to take some courses in uh, Roman Catholic theology, but I also learned a lot about liberation theology and yeah, Gutierrez. Yeah. Mm. And um, this was the Catholic church that my mother had introduced me to, which was yeah. one that did not bind you to the rules and regulations, except it did bind you to trying to do the right thing and follow the path that she felt uh, Jesus had shown us. So, mm. um, so that's where Bob and I ended up, where we talked about that and how if we were going to find a common church, it had to be one that social justice was a major theme and, um, and, and core value for us. So um, I did get my master's, and soon after that, my son was born, Bridger, mm. who um, some people know, but he's 47 years old now, so I guess he's grown up. <laughs> um, I think and, technically, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, Chris. Um, so anyway, uh, we moved to Boston. We'd been in, living in D.C., and we moved to Belmont, and uh, I... After some church searching, we ended up uh, at the Paulist Center, which is a Catholic church in Boston, uh, where the marginalized, it used to be advertised itself as where the marginalized were welcome. And that included um, people like us who were unsure of what we uh, felt about the Catholic church, as well mm -hmm. as gay and lesbian and divorced Catholics. And wow. uh, so it was a, it was a great haven. And we felt welcome there. And we felt so welcome that Bob was even on um, liturgy committees with me. Wow. Oh, and wow. uh, really? Yeah. And he even gave out communion. I don't think anybody knew he wasn't a Catholic, though. Uh, oh, that's funny. He didn't hide it. <laughs> but uh, we were we were very involved. And, uh, yeah. and uh, so the upshot of that was that they uh, invited me one at one point. Uh, this is by way of um, frame of reference in the early 80s, they mm -hmm, okay. invited me to uh, participate in a Sunday preaching the gospel, yeah. which was really scary. First mm. of all, the church was very active and the um, services, there were five services and they were pretty much filled each time. Wow. So we really did have a niche uh, I think that's the right term, um, mm. operation going on. And I, I preached, I remember clearly that day because I was terrified. Um, <laughs> the reason being I had no models yeah. of a, um, non-celibate, right. <laughs> um, woman up, uh, thinking that she had something to say. Wow. And, uh, in grappling with that, I had to, figure out what I did want to say and what did the gospel, because you preached what was in the gospel, what did mm. it say to me? And uh, that started a journey of really um, exploration of language. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you preach uh, and you're told that you have to preach that particular gospel, it means nothing to you. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it, it's, and so I felt very strongly that whatever I said had to be authentic, 
from me. And if it didn't mean anything to me, then it wasn't going to mean anything to anybody else. And I wasn't going to use all the afterlife jargon and that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, after my first episode of preaching, they invited me to join the staff and be a part of um, the the, the um, workings of the church in a more formal way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did do that. And I continued every couple of um, months to preach. And uh, I... Uh, was in charge of some of the support groups, including interfaith couples, which again was a chance for me to think about language and think about how do we talk about the holy in language that means something to a Jewish person mm. who's marrying a Christian mm. person. And, yeah. uh, you know, what is the language that really means something to you? And we spent a lot of time on that in this couples group, which I um, did for several, the whole time that I was there. Wow. And um anyway um long st- <laughs> this is a long-winded no 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 way. and let me no, let me just ask one background question so 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 this still had that same identity of like a catholic congregation that was open to queer people and divorced people and folks who at the time and still now probably would have a harder time finding place in you know just any catholic church i mean there's still a real spectrum of catholic communities even now yeah. But then was this like the only place that was talking about that? No, there were, I think there were a couple of others. Um, there was another place I don't remember in Boston that was like that. But this particular um, church was run by um, the Paulist Fathers, which is a um, priesthood that is not managed by the diocese they have their Uh own or it's like the jesuits but this is the paulist Mm. and even though they reported into the diocese they had a lot more independence than a diocesan priest would gotcha and and so i think that's why we got away with a lot of this also there was a um cardinal madeiras was the cardinal and he really ignored us yeah so like in it a was, good supportive way or in, in, a, in a, it just ignored us. Okay. And so that, okay. that, that's what you wanted. You wanted to be ignored. <laughs> and, uh, right. we also welcomed, um, women's voices and tried to use inclusive language within the service itself, yeah. um, whenever possible. So, Which is, yeah, this is so, I love this. And one other sort of background. So when you're sort of stepping into this form of ministry, is there any part of you, thinking that the apparatus of the Catholic Church might change and you might be welcomed into some sort of formal, you know, not priesthood necessarily, but sort of, did you think the system would change or were you sort of loving this one particular place and time? Do you know? Um, I think a part of me hoped that it would change. Mm. My mother kept saying it was going to change and she saw me and my role in this church as the hope that it was going to change. But every step forward felt like a step back by the institution. And what was often difficult in preaching for all of us at that church was when certain things would come out from the Roman Catholic Church. And um, we would try to avoid sometimes even talking about it because there was no way to defend it. Mm. The irony about... um, the things like the support groups that I was asked to run, one of them was the gay and lesbian group. And the group that were um, gay and lesbian, they were a very confidential group. We did not advertise that we had that group. 
and because we didn't want to get in trouble with the archdiocese. But that started to change because we started to feel a sense of freedom. And they came and asked me if I would be their um, minister because you had to have a minister affiliated with any group that a minister, meaning a ministerial staff member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... I honestly, in our congregation, will laugh at this, I'm sure. I didn't really understand at all what a gay and lesbian person experienced or what their yeah. lives were like. And um, I was really limited. And so I, I was honest with them about it. I said, I have no real understanding of the issues. And I'm happy to do this as long as we have one, your, your confidential confidentiality has to be honored, so I will not come to meetings. Okay. And uh, because I, I didn't feel it was any of my business who was a part of that group. Yeah. Mm. And secondly, you need to tell me if I'm not representing the needs when I, of the, that commu- part of the community when I'm preaching. Yeah. Mm. Because I knew how to represent the needs of women. Yeah. But I did not know how to represent the needs of lesbians and gay uh, people in the community. Mm. Mm. And so they were really helpful in that respect um, and supportive when I would make sure that I included them when I, you know, when you preached, included naming who our community is. So yeah. I was yeah. learning all the time from this. And um, and I was pretty young. I was in, in my 30s. And uh, so I was always grateful for that that educational process for myself. And yeah. uh, so I, I guess the real question is what what happened and why, why did I end up where I am? And what happened was that um, in, and those of members of our church who are from the Catholic um, part, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a Catholic background will understand this. Good Friday is one of the holiest days of the um of the catholic year and it is also a year uh, the one day that they have mass they have um a communion service so that the bread and wine has been blessed the night before on holy thursday Mm. and uh, that bread and wine is what you is used um at good friday i just say that as background yeah and I was asked to preach on Good Friday, which is a time that the um, you know lay people could lead the lead the service because it's not a mass, right. and uh, and so I was very honored by that, and uh, and very scared because I was always scared when I got in front of people. Was well, I, and, what and I, let's remind. So you said there's five services, and how many people were in the room? Like, well, it, yes, there usually are five services, but for Good Friday there is the midday service, and I think there was an evening service um, as well. Uh, wow. You know, it was a while ago, but I am pretty sure we did both. And the midday service, because this church is in the middle of Boston, attracted all the business people and right, everybody right. liked to go to the Good mm. Friday service. So um, there was that aspect. So there was standing room only at that service. Wow. And um, and that was scary. But I, um, anyway, we d- I did the service. I had mm. a lot of support from the, from the uh, other staff members and from the congregation. Um, cause like we have at first church, we had a committee that a worship committee that participated and helped and supported you and gave you ideas. And, um, 
and it was of good service. And uh, afterwards, I felt that people had um, had a different experience of my own message about Good Friday. Mm. And um, then we had Easter. And then on the Monday after Easter, the head of the center came in to see me. And I thought he was going to give me great feedback about what I thought was a great experience. But he came in to let me know that Cardinal Law, Bernard Law, who now was the cardinal in in the Boston area and Massachusetts, uh, he had apparently had some people come to the service and were very upset that a woman had led the service, a non-ordained person, which, Mm. you know, um, and that there were a lot of things that they did not like about what was going on at, at the Paula Center and it had to stop, including allowing women to preach the gospel. Mm. And so um, that kind of threw me for a loop. I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. And um, and the Paulists were told that if they didn't, uh, you know, follow the rules, they were going to be, the phrase was their faculties would be taken away which actually means that they would close the center down. Wow. Wow. So yeah. that's what happened. And um, th- it's it's interesting in retrospect, uh, the priests were very concerned about me and about the fact that I might walk, Yeah, you know, walk out and not, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And um, we, we grappled with it all quietly for a while. And then, Somehow the press got a hold of it, and we decided knew that we had to go public wow. and let them know what exactly we were being told that we had to change, including the some of the language. Um, and uh, it's interesting. One of the one of the things that we did at communion um, when you were about to give out communion, uh, we would the priest would say, "All are welcome." Wow. And you, and we all know now that all are not welcome because that language had to change. Yeah. We didn't change that language, by the way, there, as far as I know. At least we didn't well, during the period that I stayed. Um, and I I did um, insist that I tell this, the community what was going on because at the time I felt that I could, I, I felt like I was obligated to stay and help them move through this Um awful thing. And, uh, Mm. and I did, I stayed and, uh, I stayed for a year. I tried really hard. Um, they, uh, the priests took over preaching the gospel, the lay people, me and, um, the nun, there's a nun on staff at the time. I think she was still there. And we were, um, told that we could frame, you know, we could welcome people and then we could do kind of a conclusion, but the priests would do the main thing. Yeah, which made it very difficult for me because then once again we get to the issue around language and um, his his language wasn't necessarily what I was comfortable with, Um, and so I tried and uh, finally um, uh, after therapy and I had a lot of depression I I uh, I had a I just decided it was time to move on and um, I had a situation happen where. I, I was driving home from a planning session for the service 
the following Sunday and I was very depressed and I was on Starrow Drive heading to Belmont and I realized I suddenly saw this car coming at me um, toward the median and uh, it hit the median and turned over and went on fire and honest to God this I can't believe this really happened and I we all everybody stopped and I jumped over the median to try to help and as I was we were trying to pull the person out of the car I stepped back and I had this, you know, like this transference where I felt like I was the person in the car. Wow. And uh, so anyway, the next day I resigned. I decided mm. enough. Wow. And um, the the one thing I forgot to mention that was pertinent to this story is that yeah. on the day that I announced to this community that um, women were not being permitted to preach. My children were in the congregation. They have been a member of this church for their childhood and um, participated in it and uh, knew how important it was to me. And after that, my son said to me, I will not step foot in a Catholic church again. I am wow. going to join the church down the street from us there's a woman mm. minister, and nice. um, I can sing. And that was First Church. Wow. So he joined. And um, had you been a part of, well, first, let's let's have a moment. I mean, that's incredible, the, yeah. the, seeing the person in the flaming car. I know, that was yeah. Which that is was basically, you know, I, I always, I can't fathom. You know, I've raised Unitarian Universalists all my life, had women in leadership, you know, was raised by an incredible, super active, really influential, really committed lay leader mother who helped run every single church that we were ever. And all of her leadership was always welcome. And so many of, you know, so many churches basically have been run by women forever. But the 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 blockage of saying, but only we could have 98 women running in that organization, but the only two guys who are going to stand up in front of people and talk, those have to be men. That has always been just so hard to fathom and so hard to grasp. But I get I get it. But to be able to be in that situation and still want to support it and still want to do the best that you can to help this thing flower that you've put so much time into. It's just, it's so hard to imagine that that difficulty of, of finally letting it go and moving on after having worked yeah, so hard yeah. to build it and inch it just centimeter at a time towards progress and then have even that taken away. That's, that's a lot, but a, a real... A real victory to have raised a boy who's saying, no, mom. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I right. Will that's not, right. I will yeah, yeah, not yeah, be part of something that can't see who you are and what this is. And, you know, that's great. So anyway, but yeah. had you been to First Church before? Because he knew that there was um, a women minister. Yes. The only time that I really had been there was um, when uh, I think, well, I guess I'm trying to remember. She... Diane was still there, I think, when Bob, when Bridger joined the following year. What I can't remember when she left, but I think I I'd been there for memorial services. Yeah. But you know, my mother had always said to me that the Unitarians read poetry, and um, and you know that's what they do in their service, and they <laughs> um, and I you know I kind of thought that's pretty much what they did. 
Yeah. It was a very intellectual, she said. There's not much spirituality there. So she was very critical of the Unitarian Church when I was growing up, except that they were partners with all the social justice stuff she did. So she had yeah. to kind of let go of that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but they didn't, um, you know, the language was negated Jesus more than some of them. Some of them were kind of uh, downright uh not, I don't want to say not Christian, but they didn't. No, like anti-Christian. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anti, they just didn't uh, welcome. They made you feel like you were dumb if you were a Christian. Oh, yeah. Why right, are you following this? Right. You know, and that, uh, that I've always been sensitive to that, including at our own church when I oh, yeah. first was well, introduced to it. Yeah. And not just, I think there's been a whole, whole evolutionary stages of Unitarian Universalism. And, and this sort of gets to one of the other things um, that we've been talking with everybody about is, you know, something about the sources and the principles. And, you know, we've always historically, we grew out of my, my good friend who's visiting right now came to the church for the first time. And he's like, did you buy this building from a Christian church? And I was like, no, nah, dude, we, <laughs> this, this, is, <laughs> this is our church. This is, we built yeah. it like this because we were just, we're Christian, you know, yeah, like yeah, uh, 200 yeah. years ago, like, these both Unitarians and Universalists were Christians, but then the pendulum sort of swung. And certainly by the time you're having that conversation with your mother and by the time, you know, my generation of Unitarian Universalism when I was a baby coming up, you know, it was it was very anti-Christian. It was very anti-theist. And yeah. there, we mm, sort right. of existed and were really perpetuated by a moment where people were like, wait, we can have a church without God? You know, and so people really got together around that. But then, of course, sometimes the that message of then, well, OK, so what is what is the kind of transcendent thing connecting us and mm. really fertile, beautiful conversations that could happen? Sometimes it became and then you're dumb if you believe in God right. and then you're right. dumb if you have this kind of connected experience of of Jesus, many of whom were coming out of, you know, religions and experiences that didn't feed them and didn't nurture them. But, but I think in the last 20 years, especially, and I guess now I'm getting older. So the last 30 years, especially there's really been another evolutionary stage of Unitarian Universalism where we've really embraced a, a wide range of theologies where I forget the numbers, but when, when you all were calling me, they did all sorts of surveys or whatever. I think we were like 30% uh, atheist and another 20 or 30 percent theist of some form, you know, and so really we have a lot of Buddhists and Jews and people with a really wide range of personal theologies, which I think is really, you know, rich. It's one of my favorite parts of doing it. But so then, like you were saying with your Paulist Center folks, when you're having those conversations with your worship team about like, okay, well, we have Good Friday coming up. We have Easter coming up. Like, what can we say that will be engaging to this, you know, atheist, humanist? Yeah. And to this, you know, and to Eloise, who has led Good Friday <laughs> services in the past. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating mix. You but know, wait, um, yeah, the one on. th thing I forgot to mention um, that it, I think was key to my transition to feeling I could move out of this Roman Catholic um, tradition was uh, what I referred to as women church. Mm. That's, uh, and this was a group of women who fought, for, who fought for women's ordination, but also, and still does, by the way, I, those that are still involved, but they, um, 
through getting to know them, many of whom were members of the Paula Center, and uh, going to their national conferences, I was introduced to a much more um, inclusive and expansive spirituality beyond the the male-dominated Roman Catholic tradition. Mm. So they, mm. we basically co-opted what we liked <laughs> and what we felt met our spirit. And, uh, and they introduced me to the goddess, to... to yeah. um, uh, to what I, what they called echo feminism. I mean, uh, that, which yeah. uh, to me was sort of before climate change, but also allowed me to learn to, uh, find the sacred in the, in nature and the world around me in a new way and to try to find the language to name that, um, as holy. And, uh, that is, of course, in the, um, woven in the principles of the UU church, but I wasn't aware of that. In fact, I wasn't even aware of the UU principles when my son joined the first church. Um, yeah. And I did not, when I went to the first church, I didn't find much spirituality there yeah. uh, mm. at all, mm. uh, to tell you the truth. And um, this was back for those uh, in 1987 mm. is when I think my son joined. And uh and my daughter and husband went to the church more frequently than I did during this stage because I was I was transitioning yeah. <laughs> to trying to figure out where the heck I belonged, but I didn't want my family to leave me behind. So I think I basically followed them rather wow. than leading them as I had before. And let's not lose. I mean, the transition from being a religious leader and shaping a whole community and being part of that process to then being a person in the pew of a place that theologically is fundamentally, you know, not the best fit for you. That's a huge transition. Yeah, it it was. And um, I, this could be a conversation for another time, but I've sure. been reflecting on this um, this period. I had been reflecting just on the um on the rejection that I felt in the Catholic church. But uh, my next thought process was going to be, well, how did I get to where I am in first church? And um, yeah, we, you should talk about it because I think you're angling for like a subsequent, you're like, uh, I need to be two pod guest, which, you know, I don't know if we're there yet, <laughs> but no, do tell us now no, because yeah, how does that, did that take you. time? I will tell you um, about it, and then it might be something for another conversation, but not sure. necessarily potted, <laughs> whatever this is called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I can't remember when I signed the book, but I do remember that it was on April Fool's Day. No, oh, it's funny. <laughs> and I decided that that was the perfect time because That's I felt fantastic. this didn't feel right, but it didn't feel not right, and so you know, I'll do it. And, um, wow. and I, I sat in the pew and, uh, I didn't feel comfortable at first mm. church, but I did it because my son and daughter were now getting involved in music and, um, mm. and my husband liked it. And, um, Victor Carpenter mm. became the minister. And I remember when he, uh, came to my house for a, a visit and I, th I was amazed cause I hadn't invited him. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was, I was kind of struck by the way he preached. He was very emphatic and, um, 
anyway, he came and he said he had heard about me through one of mm. his friends nice. who was the UU minister in Boston. And um, I can't remember his name, but he was very well known in the UU circles. And uh, he had also preached at the Paula Center when we invited late uh, non um, non Catholics to come preach. Yeah. And anyway, he had heard about it and he came and he said um, he wondered if I would consider conducting a Good Friday service at First wow. Church. Wow. And I told him that that was um, very terrifying to me. Wow. And uh, so we talked about it. And uh, they used to have a Good Friday service, you know, that um, called the Seven Last Words. Wow. And he said that it wasn't not many people came, but he felt that it could use a more Christian voice yeah. and somebody who's comfortable with that language. And he yeah. felt that there were a lot of people in our community that might be interested in that. Yeah. And so, um, and so I did it. Wow. And, uh, I, Alpha worked with me on the music and, uh, wow. And uh, we did the seven last words, and I found seven people that would uh, do do them, and then I had a reflection. And we did that the entire time that Victor was the minister. And Victor Victor participated as a member of the community. Yeah, that's great. So he was kind Mm -hmm. of not the minister. He didn't take any leadership role, except uh, he may have done a last word. And... um, after the first one, I think it was that people asked if we could do a Holy Thursday service. Oh, yeah. So Bob and I got together, the two of us, and I got out all my women church stuff that nice. um, was very inclusive. And we did a Holy Thursday service as well. That's and great. the night before, and it was held in the um, parlor. Hmm. Usually we had 12 people. And that was, and we had a breaking of the bread in the way that I believed could be more inclusive. We had some Jewish, former Jewish, you know, Jewish members of the community who came. So we made sure it was not a Jesus-centered thing so much. But anyway, Bob wrote a beautiful, you know, he did a great job of helping me write it so that it would be the story using is the um, Hebrew scripture as well as... um, the story in the in the New Testament, and um, well, this has been an elaborate, long way of recruiting you to do it again this year. <laughs> no, no, I, I stopped. I stopped after Edmund came because Edmund was very cynical about, or appeared to be very cynical about the Jesus stuff, and I didn't. I just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but you know what else happened is I I grew beyond it and realized that um, I didn't need to do this. Yeah. Well, yeah, so talk about, so how did that, was that the beginning of starting to feel more at home at First Church? Well, yeah, I think it was. And, uh, you know, that was the only thing I really got involved in at First Church. But I got, and I got a lot of good feedback from the people that came. A lot of people couldn't figure out why we were doing it. And that was okay, (laughs) too. Well, it's not for everybody, but that doesn't, that's It isn't for everybody. That's right. But But that's great. I mean, that's part of what we do. But it was a good transition for me. To feel I could be a part of this church, yeah, um, spirit- spiritually somehow, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Can I ask uh, Louise, how much do you feel 
that from your background you've retained? And how much do you still value from your Catholic background? I mean, we tend to tell these you you, you sort of um, transition stories as sort of radical breaks with our past, but of course we carry a lot with us, um, both for the worse and for the better. I, I wonder how much you still feel tied or connected or bound to to to, for example, uh, the Catholic social justice tradition you were raised in and. Um, maybe maybe some of the theology. Or what, what do you retain now? I um, I feel I've been freed mm. from the shackles of Roman Catholicism, mm. and in a way, lately, as I've been reflecting on it, I am so grateful for what happened back in 1987, wow. because yes, it was painful, and yes, it's been difficult, but I feel that my um, spiritual journey, it enriched me to be now at a place where I don't have a longing at all for Catholicism. I feel freed mm. from it. I have a love for uh, what um, what I learned from the rituals there. For example, uh, the breaking of the bread was one of my most favorite rituals, um, mm. the communion. But we translated that into what does it mean to sh break bread around the table when you have friends mm. over. Yeah, yeah. And as everyone knows, when they come to our house, we always start with a prayer. Mm. Um, we don't care who you are. <laughs> but we we like, feel the FedEx that, guy comes and you're like, yeah, if he wants you. to have dinner with us, let's <laughs> because it has nothing to do with Jesus, but it uh, yeah. has to do with. I think Jesus's message was, which said, yeah. all are welcome at this table mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. let's break it and share our lives together and let's make it a, a good, nice time. And uh, so in that sense, I, um, I really begun a journey that I think is deeper as a result of my departure. Um, and uh, no, Sam, I don't have a longing to go back there. And I mm, mm. have a sadness for those people who um, feel still stuck there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just hope that they're finding ways for um, it to feed them. But uh, I think many just don't know where else to go. And, um, and others are like my mother who just have a love for that or had a love for that uh, church despite its sinfulness. Yeah. I am very glad that she was not alive for the uh, pedophilia nonsense yeah. crime. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm very glad to have you here with us and for your, for your leadership. And again, especially in this last, in this last year or two, um, the creation of the committee on ministry and, and especially, so for those of you who either are new uh, to the church or, or had, didn't experience it the last couple of years, one of the things that committee on ministry has done is hosted these listening circles. And especially in the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, we hosted a bunch of these when we were just pivoting like ballerina i mean it was just it felt like one thing after another was changing so it was so incredible to be able to hear from people so yeah. many people and have people share their experiences so um i wonder if both a little bit about what we have brewing with the committee on ministry this this year or other ways that people might um 
interact with you and the rest of the group around that and what it's been like i know this is too many questions but what it's been like to create it and and where you think it's going Yes. Um, well, it was challenging to create this committee because it's challenging. Um, <laughs> the, the, my friends who are listening to this, I, I love you all, but sometimes you can be very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter what you do, there's not a perfect way of doing it. And uh, we, I think, are a community of many, many experts. And um, so the trick with the committee on ministry is to bring in people um, who are willing to devote their time on the committee to listening and to trying to elicit from you how you're doing, how the church is doing, how, um, you know, how we can b more effectively minister to one another. It's not to find fault with ourselves. It's really to say, how do we grow? How do we continue to reach out and follow um, this spiritual journey together? And the spiritual journey includes a lot of action items as well. But um, I think we want to make sure that um, we continue to f feed the, um, the spiritual needs of our community so that that gives them the energy to do all the good things that we do. Um, mm. So I have a, a great committee and um, we have a three-year term. And the reason for that is that all of us play a role in what I just described, listening to one another and hearing one another. But to give you a chance to be in a, a leadership position to do this is a little bit more of a core responsibility. So we will rotate it so that maybe in 15 or 20 years, many, many people will have had the opportunity to get to know the community in this way and share it mm. so that we, um, the minister and the staff are hearing, uh, from us in a more formal way, how, how we're doing. Um, yeah. does that help? No, it's super helpful. And I, you know, always really all of the staff, but I will speak for myself. I'm always happy to hear, from people, direct feedback people can share with me. And, and a lot of people do. It's great, um, you know, for good when people enjoy stuff, but also when people have constructive criticism about stuff. We're really mm -hmm. excited to hear from that. And I know that's not the case with all ministers and all ministries, but we're, you know, this is a supple organization and all nine of us on staff are really, really happy to incorporate people's feedback. And, you know, our, we exist to, to help the church serve people in the world. And so we're always excited to hear about it. But this is another great way where people can talk to in between our monthly meetings. Each of the committee on ministry people is sort of charged and encouraged to go out and chat with at least one person they don't know and just sort of check in loosely about their experience of the church. And, you know, especially right now, one of the fascinating things about this moment is we have so many different things happening where mm -hmm. somebody's never been to one of these great outdoor services we've done and somebody's never clicked on one of these great videos we've been doing. And that's totally fine, but it's super helpful to hear from people and sort of hear about their experience of the church. Um, anyway, um, so the I guess the last thing is, do you have, uh, Eloise, any questions for either Sam or I? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, do you think that my journey resonates with anyone uh, within our church? Or oh um, I think it does. I mean, f first of all, I, I mean, we we all know uh, quite a few um, former Catholics, ex-Catholics in the congregation who have not the same story as you, but similar stories. 
Um, I'm actually just going to mention, you know, um, I, I wasn't raised Catholic, but my, my ex-wife was raised Catholic and her sort of struggle for years within the church was was quite similar to yours in a way. And I and I I sort of came to the conclusion that these these two peculiar things about the Catholic Church, A, this this deep social justice tradition in uh in, in the church, and B, the way in which sort of liberal or left-leaning um or dissident Catholics will often for years try and cling to the institution and reform it from the inside, even when that seems desperate. I think these two things are connected. Does that resonate with you? Because for, for my ex, I mean, she she just really believed that the church was a force for good across the world, which in many parts of the world and in many respects it is. Um, and she wanted to be a part of that. And she wanted to change the institution for the better rather than, you know, rather than defect. And 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 I, I, hear, I hear some of that in your story. Um, but I wonder yes, if that resonates yes. with you. Yes. Um, but enough was enough for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I still have people I love who are still involved in the church, including the priests that were there when I left. Um, And uh, they're good people and they're not, it's not their fault this happened. And uh, yeah, but they're still devoted to it. And that's fine. I, I am without judgment on that, but I, I hope they don't see a car coming at them and feel they're stuck in a fire that they can't get out of like I did. But I, yeah. um, I I so appreciate it. And I think, so having served a bunch of different churches in a bunch of different places, one of the interesting things about New England is there's so many former Catholics in our Unitarian Universalist Mm. churches. So I think without question, your story and so much of your story resonates with so many of our folks. You know, I think people... Mm -hmm. People stay with the Catholic Church for so many different reasons, really deep connections with family. You know, I think some people are spiritually lazy and they're like, well, this is fine. It's just as bad (laughs) as any other church. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons. But finding a place, you know, even even without Catholicism, I think there's something like the vast majority of our folks. It's a small group of us who have been Unitarian Universalist our whole lives. So for either people who are coming out of other congregations and other backgrounds, or especially, I mean, especially bizarre and difficult and challenging and fascinating, people who have been raised with nothing, right? People right. for whom the idea of going to church on Sunday is totally out of, like... Well, yeah, like, like me. I'm one of those people. <laughs> there's a big shift to yeah. being part of community, and there's a big shift to being part yeah. of a covenanted religious community and, you know, asking these questions about then, okay, so if I'm not in this system that's really clearly articulating a theological framework for me, how do I create and forge and explore my own? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I reconcile or, you know, harvest the fruits of my theological past? And then, you know, answer the question of then, okay, if not that, then what, you know, like you're saying with this women, women church, like, what are the things that actually resonate with you now? And then creating that and harvesting that. And, you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, no, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating story. And I'm, well, I just want to, I just want to add uh, not to make it all about me, but I, when I was between churches, I actually applied for a job at the Paulist Center. Oh. I, I didn't get an interview. I don't think I was Catholic enough for them. But so I ended up at First Church, and I, and I, I think I ended up at the right place. Yes, you, <laughs> you, you definitely did. Connection. That is wild. 
Yeah, that's, oh, is that oh funny? Goodness. That could have been well, working for them. Yes. They're yeah. lost I, on both counts, and I am yeah, so grateful. <laughs> oh, my God. Is it, Sam, so. you'll have to tell me more about that sometime. Yeah. I'd love yeah, to hear hilarious. about that. Well, <laughs> and um, yeah, so thank you so much for everything, um, but especially for being our, our very second guest. Yeah, thank you so much, Eloise. This is a great <laughs> conversation. Really exciting. So, well, all right, well, we'll see you soon. Thanks for coming on. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, Eloise. Bye-bye. Yep, bye. That was amazing. Yeah. I love, I love that story. But before we go, want to uh, invite everybody. If you want to send in any questions, anything for the mailbag, you can email me minister at uubelmont.org. That's minister at uubelmont.org. Or some of you have my longer email. That's my last names uh, at Gmail. Use any email you like. You can also email Sam. And if you send us a question, uh, we'll answer it here at the end of the pod. But um, Wait, a question about anything? Question about anything. Yeah, Unitarian Versalism, life, our backstory. We're going to dig into Sam Wise's backstory because I'm fascinated to learn more about who he is. My background as a hobbit. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) We have many episodes coming just about Sam. But but yeah, do please send us any questions. This has been really fun. We're excited to get this going. We have some great guests coming up. Um, both some staff members and some volunteers and some longtime members of the church. It's going to be really, it's going to be really cool. But yeah, so thanks for the precious gift of your attention. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, this has been really fun. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, you, Moinsky.